Welcome to Inside Track, brought to you by Chiltern Railways. I'm Emma Gascoigne, and I recently went out on the Chiltern network to find out some of the burning questions that other rail users have, and in this podcast, we'll be getting the answers to them. Today is our last episode, and it's all about working for Chiltern Railways and the railway. We'll also be getting the inside track on what it's like to be a train driver. In the studio now, we're joined by train manager Laura. Hello. Train driver Amy. Hello. And customer service director Alan Riley. Hi, Emma. Thanks for joining us all on Inside Track. So, Amy, tell me a bit about yourself. What's it like being a train driver? It's great, personally. I love it. I've been driving five years this year. Yeah, it's, it's different. No two days are the same. And you're from a railway family. Is that what made you decide to become a train driver? Yeah, my granddad was um, on the steam. Uh, he was a fireman. He's got three boys, one my dad. Um, he's a guard, always been train mad. I was the first girl in the family for 30 years, so I had no choice when it came to uh, trips out, days out. I was brought up with model railways in my granddad's. My dad's got them. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was inevitable, I guess. And Laura, what steps did you take to be a train manager? I'll be honest, it wasn't my initial idea for a career. I've come from 14 and a half years in aviation. And the skill set that I found that I had in aviation, when I'm looking for a new job, I found the railway was the best fit for that. I get to meet customers, whether it be new people I've never seen before or people that I can have conversations with because I see them on a regular basis. I get to see new places out of my window. You know, my desk moves with me rather than sitting stationary. What advice would you give to women joining the railway? It's definitely a fantastic career. Everybody should look at it. Don't be put off because you think that it's a career for men. There's a lot more women joining the railway. Alan Riley, today for our last episode, you're outnumbered by women. Is this something that Chilton is encouraging? It is. Well, uh, well I'm delighted we've got Amy and Laura with us. Laura is quite new to the business, which is really good. And um, from what I see and what I hear, she's doing an amazing job. A lot of really positive customer feedback already. And Amy, uh, Amy used to work for me, actually, a few years ago. It's great they've both joined us today. Are we encouraging it? Absolutely. I think, I think we know that historically the railway has been quite a male environment, and that's been ongoing for a long time. And, and there's been kind of incremental changes there. But there's probably certain challenges in certain areas where we still need more diversity. And I think in terms of Amy, it's great she's a train driver. I think it's probably clear we need more female drivers. I think that would be a, a real good cultural shift going forward. So absolutely, we, we'd love to see a diverse range of applicants. And I think what that brings with it is many benefits for the business. So yeah, we're really, we're really keen and, and we'll keep encouraging that. And it's our last episode today. Have you enjoyed your time in the hot seat? I have. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot from the different guests we've had here. So I'm hoping it's had value for customers. I hope they're listening and, and really seeing that we're answering their questions and we're, and we're trying to make improvements on the back of, of their needs. And, and hopefully we'll be back for a, a second series. OK, well, let's get our first question now. And it's from Moore Street. What happens to staff if the franchise has changed? So, Alan Riley, are you able to explain what happens if there is a franchise change? When a franchise changes, so if the government decides that, that they want a new company in to operate that route, all those services, for the staff in the company, as a general rule, they'll transfer to the new company. So that they'll generally maintain the basic terms and conditions, salaries, etc., where they work. Um, so things won't change a great deal in terms of what the team know because they'll generally transfer over to the new business. We're going to move on to our next question now from Haddenham. How does franchising and um, privatisation work on the different routes of the trains in the UK? Alan Wright, do you want to have a go at explaining this one and how it currently works? Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, really, in simple terms, the government offers contracts to different companies 
and they operate the train service on those routes. So I think there's currently around 16 franchisees. Chiltern Railways, so we're one of these. I mean, we're, we're a bit unique in this sense that we were granted a 20-year franchise. So what that enabled was much investment into our services, into our stations, into our offering, and really driving home that, uh, that customer message and then building those partnerships up with people like Network Rail. And effectively, each franchise has a term on that, and then you rebid for that franchise at the end of your term. And other companies is an open offer, so other companies can also bid, uh, and it's a bit of a circle. Well, th- yeah, thanks for explaining that. It's definitely a lot clearer now. Our next question was from a gentleman at Marleybone Station. I'd be interested to know what it's like to work on Chilton Railways as opposed to other rail lines. Um, the staff always seem a lot more relaxed and friendly, and I'd be interested to know like whether that's a product of... like. The, the way they work or like the general nature of the line and the places they go through. Laura, how would you describe working at Chilton Railways? To me, it's like a big family and I don't just mean my colleagues, I mean the passengers as well. We've got some really nice, polite, friendly passengers and you know, there's been situations where I've had a passenger who may have been rude to me and another passenger's actually come up to me and said, are you okay? They wasn't very nice the way they spoke to you. And it's nice the fact that everybody cares and Laura, as someone who's just started, was that something that you felt from day one? Yes. From the first day that I joined the company, I felt like everybody just welcomed me with open arms. Everybody wanted to introduce themselves to me, to make me feel welcome, to know who I was, and to let me know that they were there if I needed support at any point. And it's just nice to feel supported. So it's a definitely a unique rail operator then, just like that man said. Amy, does that, does that sound like something you've experienced? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Most of our customers, you do see them on a regular basis. I mean, morning trains pulling into different stations, they'll be standing in the same spot for that certain train, and you, you do get to, to recognise people. It's, it's quite weird. Recently, I was, I was on annual leave, and I was actually in London, um, and a passenger came up to me to ask, was I, <laughs> was I enjoying my day off? <laughs> and I'm thinking, OK, yeah, th- thanks, I am. And they're like, oh, so you're not driving us back today? No, no, it's definitely not me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, they do. They, they recognise you. But you, you do. You see the same faces all the time. Still to come, more of your questions, including this discussion. Why don't you give names to your trains, like Thomas the Tank Engine? But we're now going to speak to Steve Roast about what it's like to be a train driver. I'm here with Steve, who's been a train driver for over 40 years, to find out more about what it takes to be a train driver and what it's like. automatic warning system near there and we're just going to start the engines up. Why did you decide to be a train driver? Um, it was like every boyhood's dream you know it's something I wanted to do from probably when I was about 12, 13 something like that it, 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 yeah it was something that fascinated me and it was something I wanted to do so uh, yeah from that point onwards it was, I wanted to work on the railways so um, yeah. <laughs> and then you joined when you were 17? Yeah, I joined at 17, uh, which was obviously then with British Railways, you know, back in 79, 1979, so uh, yeah, a long time ago now. What do you enjoy most about your job? It's a good job because once you've learnt uh, your, your rules and, and routes and stuff like that, you, you pretty much work alone. You do meet managers and, and see other colleagues and stuff, but once you're out on the track, you, you're responsible for your own actions sort of thing, so it's quite nice in that sense that you're your own boss and you drive your trains and work accordingly you know um, so that's, that's definitely one of the things I like it's also good 
just throughout the year like watching the seasons change you know as you're driving up to Birmingham or Oxford or wherever you're going uh, down the Met Lines uh, you know you, you see fields like that at this time of year you see the, the fields are being ploughed and turned over and stuff like that and there's buzzards and seagulls it's great for seeing wildlife and stuff uh, uh, and then over the you know you see the crops growing and then you, the next thing you know the combines are out and cutting the hay or, or uh, whatever you know crops and things and then you're back to this time of year again you really notice the seasons changing uh, which is, is a nice thing as well and the weather you know right there we go that's the engine started up so take it from there this is a 165 is it similar in every other train that children have yeah you've got uh, various different classes and subclasses so you've got you've got 165s 168s and 172s uh, which are the, what we call DMU, so they're diesel multi unit trains. Uh, and then obviously we've got the locomotive hall trains as well, which are class 68s, Mark 3s, uh, DBT, and that's more of an old school sort of, you know, locomotive hall trains that's got an engine and coaches. So that is a complete different setup. And this tele- it looks like a, an old fashioned telephone down there. It What's is, that? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is an old fashioned telephone in that sense. Um, that That is for, it's primary use for us really is for, for making public announcements so it should if I do that you'll hear the you can hear the ding dong yeah. so with this we can make public announcements <laughs> the other use it's got is cab to cab telephone so if you've got anybody assisting in the train or, or any other crew in any other little cabs you can communicate and the, the other one here you can see which is PC mm. that's obviously someone operates a PASCOM or the red emergency handle within the train initially it sets off an alarm in the cab and puts the brakes on yeah so we'll just shut the engines down again you can see it's just a case of push of a button and the red light actually when they see that red light comes on it lets me know that all the engines in, in the case of this you, you know you can have three engines might have two engines you could have five engines or more depending on the length of the train that red light tells me all the engines have stopped and then we've just got to actually shut the cab fully down then take the key up and that's that all done amy you must know steve and heard many of his tales about working as a train driver is there anything that surprised you about that no, not really. Yeah, I've, I've known Steve a long time, 11 years I've known Steve. He's brilliant and yeah, yeah, everything he's just gone through there, I can see myself setting every, the cab up the way he's gone through it. Laura, was there anything that was interesting for you, listening to that? It was interesting to hear his enjoyment and his love through what he's doing, telling you all about his job. You know, it shows that he really loves working on the railway. Alan, is there anything you'd like to pick up on that. Well, I was a bit intrigued by how much he noticed, to be fair. He seemed to pick up on like, the combine harvester in the field and the, the trees changing colour and things. So, I think he's one of our trainers, Steve, so he, he's really competent to, and, and a real leader in his field. And I, and I think the thing to acknowledge with uh, train drivers, it, it's such a professional service. It's so, I mean, Amy, you probably know, but I mean, how long is it to train to be a train driver? It was a year from start to finish. And then for the first two years, once you've passed out and you're on your own, you're monitored pretty much every six weeks. Okay, so I mean, a year's training. I mean, there's, there's not many roles that take a year to train out. So it shows the level of detail 
and uh, the kind of competence you need to, to be driving training? Yeah, it's 275 hours with an instructor, and that's daylight hours, dark hours, uh, seasons, shunts. Well, this all leads on to our next question, which is from High Wycombe. So I've just uh, kind of always wondered what makes someone want to be a train driver. So, Amy, what were the main reasons that you wanted to be a train driver? It's, it's always something I've been interested in, but it, in all honesty, it's from, from when I originally started out. The company I was with at the time, the sister company, it was all loco hauled. Um, so we, we had no units. It was all loco hauled, and I just thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. And what advice would you give to someone who wanted to join? Go for it. Is there anything, I heard it's a very rigorous interview process. Is there any tips that you would give to people? Stay calm. The interview process, it was done over three days, two days of testing. And then once if you pass the, the testing, it's a structured interview, which can last anywhere between 20 minutes and two hours. <laughs> and basically, they want to make sure you stay calm and they will, they'll throw all kinds of things at you. And if they're not happy with an answer, they'll ask something else. So it's to make sure you can stay calm in sort of any situation. Then you have your company interview with your head of drivers. And then, strangely enough, it's, you go through all that and then it all depends if you pass your medical or not. Mm-hmm. So you've passed everything else and then it comes down to, well, if you don't pass that. But no, it's, it's, it's tough going, but it is worth it. And is there anything you've done outside of work that you've had to adapt now you're a train driver? Changed my car to an automatic because I found it easier when finishing work. <laughs> is it quite similar an automatic to driving a train? Yeah. The driving the, the DMUs, the units, and then driving the loco is completely different. Just completely in general, the whole braking system is different. Whereas you've got your braking points on a unit, you've got to be sort of half a mile previous on a, a loco set so yeah you've as i said no two days are the same and it's the same as no two trains are the same i was actually saying um yesterday in five years with the slippy season as people say that jokes leaves on the line this is the worst i've known it in five years so again you're leaving in the morning and you're th- you're already at your first station thinking right I need to bring the braking back because it is slippy. So so with leaves on the line, it, it means that it does really impact your driving. Because when the leaves do land, the train's going over them, you end up with like this... I don't know if you've ever pulled a leaf apart and you get like... It's like sap, you know, off a tree. When you've got that on the rail, it's raining and you're trying to stop an eight-car unit full of people. You, you put the brake in, it's metal on metal. You literally... You're just skidding. So, so what do you do there? So do, you, do you have to break earlier? Do you have to? What, yeah, what, you break you earlier. You're putting sand down as much as you possibly can because that coats the wheels. And so it's sort of it's like the sandpaper effect. It gives it a grip to keep you going. It's the thing is as well. It's not just braking. Once you, if you have braked, you're in the station. It's then you're trying to get moving again, and it's just you know when you see a child learning to walk. And they're trying to pull themselves up and they get so far and then they've got that's that's honestly what it's like. And the engines are, the engines are turning and the wheels are just sliding. And Alan, what advice would you give to people that are interested in either being a train driver or a train manager? Well, I'm listening to Laura and Amy here. I think I think the, the bits that come to mind really are first of all that the jobs they're in 
they, they really they, they make people's day every day. I mean, if you think of from Amy's position as a trained driver, I mean, she's making sure that, you know, hundreds of people on each journey get to where they want to go safely and on time. And we've heard about the different conditions that exist with that. And that, that's not that easy. So I think it, it's really rewarding in that sense. And Laura's also making sure our customers get there on time safely, but also having that more contact with our customers and just making sure they're reassured, smiling, just being friendly with them and really picking them up and making their morning or making their day. I think they're really rewarding jobs. So I'd, I'd certainly recommend anyone to, if, if you're thinking about having a career in the railway, I think these are great jobs to apply for. They are highly sought after. So, you know, I'd always suggest keep, keep looking online, keep looking, if you head to our website, you'll see when they're available. But, but I definitely encourage it. I definitely recommend it. I think it's, there's, there's a lot of reward to be had there. And, and I think they, they're, they're beneficial for people as well. Right. Our next question is from Marleybone. Hello. My question is who donated the piano? It's very nice when people do play it to uh, chills you out. So, Alan Riley, do you want to give us a bit of history about the Marleybone piano? I will, yeah. I mean, the piano, it was donated by one of our train drivers, which is really good and really generous. So, it was really so that our customers could enjoy it. And you see that different people take the opportunity to sit down and play some music at different times of day. And I've even seen some staff there um, playing it around Christmas time, um, which was really fun. Um, and I believe it was featured on the BBC Proms. So, it's got some history to that piano. So, uh Long may we, um, long may we keep it, and uh, yeah, hopefully people are enjoying it. And Amy, Laura, what's your view of the Marleybone piano, and actually the sort of trend that we're seeing at the moment of more stations having musical instruments? It's definitely relaxing when you're walking through the station and somebody's playing something. It's really nice when you've got somebody playing and then somebody else joins in singing. And the other, uh, I've seen three of them playing it before now, playing the same in different bits of the piano. And is there any musical instruments that you'd quite like to see? You see, piano works because it's probably easier than something like a trumpet that possibly mm-hmm. could be played very badly very easily. Yeah. The only one I'd like to see is possibly a harp, but Ooh. yeah, because that could be quite nice. But that's kind of for selfish reasons, because I'd quite like to listen to harp music. And Amy, what about you? Have you seen anyone famous playing the piano? I've seen on Instagram that Tom from McFly played it when he passed through. It's the station he used to use as a child and he went to the the famous performing school. Him and his wife actually went to that school and um, yeah, they they do, they feature Marlborough quite a lot, the pair of them. Um, But yeah, I've not seen him playing it, but I did see it on his his Instagram. Our final question now, it's from High Wickham. Why don't you give names to your trains? Like Thomas the Tank Engine and like uh, Air Force pilots that gave names to their aircraft. So, Alan, do you ever name trains at Chilton? We have in the past, but we, we generally name them after people or places. So we've got the Oxford Flyer, the Roald Dahl. So we, we do, yeah. and we're not adverse to it. Laura, what name would you choose? I think if it was me, I'd probably go for something like James Watt, sort of linking the, Chilton, the fact that Chilton go to Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was a Scottish inventor, but he died and is buried in Hansworth in Birmingham. He was part of the very active Lunar Society and um, he invented the steam engine. And, and Amy, what name would you choose if you could name a train after anything? What I'd like to see with them is everywhere we've got a depot on our line is take something significant from that area or a significant person. Or My previous company, we had one of the locos was named after 
a local aqueduct in Welsh, and then one was named after. We had Thomas Telford. We used to stop at Telford. So something different from each, where we have a depot, something significant from from there. Because we've, we've already got the Oxford flyer, which obviously we go to Oxford, but then we could have something associating with Birmingham, something associating Banbury. Well, that's it for this episode in this series. I'd like to say a big thank you to all the 70-plus rail passengers who provided questions for the programme, all our guests, Alan, Dave, Phil, Martin, Paul, George, Amy and Laura, and all our other contributors across the series, Karen, Dennis, Emil, Rahana, Kevin, Jenny and Steve. And I'd also like to thank you for listening and to those who gave us their comments and reviews. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.